hi all hold on i'm not david <laughs> hi you're all good no i was confused when i saw your name i know i know it's it's my husband's um computer that i do all my zoom zooms on so hi nice to meet you hi nice to meet you too how are you good how are you busy crazy busy which i'm happy about um very good very good just like i'm mixing i'm have on monday um mix of two films and one i'm still writing the other i'm mixing right now i'll finish mix and i'll go back to the other one it's just been non-stop but very very um very good all the projects at once i have six at once it's unbelievable i have two oh, films, tv series uh a choral commission with 220 singers uh uh, a trailer for a Chinese video game, a concert in Washington, D.C., and a cello, con cello piece. So it's just been nuts. You come in a very, very good time. What, what kind of music do you want to do? So what I really love is doing um, new contemporary music. My latest album just came out on Monday, and so... It has a rapper, a theatrical narrator, a jazz combo, and a classical style percussion quartet all on it. Wow! You should, yeah, send it to me. I want to. I want to hear it. I want to listen. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and we even made a little short film with it, so it's a lot of fun. Great, great. Continue do what you love, and you know it's 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 an it's an amazing journey. But it's uh, I I wouldn't do anything different. Well, a few things maybe, but not that. <laughs> I, I recently listened to some stuff I wrote before college and there's quite a few things I would have done differently though. <laughs> no, I don't mean music wise. I mean like, um, well, I don't know, maybe career wise, maybe, um, a few things that, but I don't, it doesn't matter because, you know, I've made my decisions based on what I thought was great at the time and there's no point in regretting. I'm very happy with where I am. So yeah. it's all And good. now you got six things to do at once. Unbelievable. Yes. And it's good. There's always stuff. There's always more to do and more to strive for. It, it never ends. When it ends, you die, basically. Let's get to our interview. Yes, absolutely. So welcome, everybody, to another episode of Chatting with Creators. I am here today with Sharon Farber, and we're going to be talking about brainwash, sex, camera, power. Sharon. It's actually Sharon. Just oh, Sharon. Thank you yes. very much for correcting me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, for anyone who's not familiar, would you please introduce uh, yourself in the film to the audience? It's not quite out in every theater yet, but hopefully soon. Yes. So my name is Sharon Faber, and I'm a composer of TV, film, concert music, choral music, world music, songs, a lot of different things, which... Um, it's amazing because there's always what to do and work. And I highly recommend not just staying in one place and doing one thing. Um, and Brain, uh, Brainwashed is a film that um, was introduced to me by the producer, uh, Summer Yang. And she thought that I'll be interested in, in scoring something like that. And she was right because as a woman, 
uh, this affected me immediately, of course. And, and I have a daughter and thinking about her, you know, she's, she's only 11, but you know, she's growing up fast. And uh, the film investigates the way that camera design is implemented in films uh, when it comes to women. So for example, um, lighting, things that we take for granted, you don't even think about it, but men are usually are lighted with 3D. So you can see the wrinkles, you can see that they're getting older and they have like white hair and it, it's, it's respected and ragged. And with women, they're shot in 2Ds, which means that everything is very smooth. There are no, basically no wrinkles and everything is beautiful. The other thing is, for example, um, camera placement. How do we deal with the male gaze, you know, which is a term that Laura Malvey created, a uh, film critic, and um, how do we usually see it from that perception? Um, a lot of different things that, you know, film viewing, is so embedded in us, no matter what our gender or sexual orientation, we've been watching films forever and we'll be watching films for a long time. And all of a sudden you're facing with like um, something that is so embedded in you that you haven't realized it's embedded in you. And you start asking questions, hold on, why is the camera now panning in slow motion of the body on the body of, of this actress when it has nothing to do with what's going on. And suddenly you, I mean, I wasn't aware of all these things, you know, um, you won't be able to see films in the same way after you watch brainwash sex camera power. It will give you such an awareness of um, what we've been fed and um, and maybe, maybe there's a way to change it, but it's, I don't know, you know, you watch all the streamings right now and, and it becomes more and more aggressive and more and more rape scenes. And, and it's like, hey, it's fine. The more, the better, because it brings rating. Just, uh, it, it has a huge effect on how, uh, especially young men see the world and women in it. So it's it's a very important film. Yeah, I was really excited when I heard about this project, not only as a fellow woman, but uh, last semester I got to study under Dr. Paula Harper, who's now at University of Chicago, um, for her um, premiere course, The History of Women in Music Videos. And so we talked a lot about the male gaze and how that cinematography affected all the female musicians who were being filmed and then we got into the whole academic debate is a movie a music video because it has music mm -hmm. but yeah, <laughs> that's no, a different definitely, conversation it's definitely um something that at least now there's a discussion but um you know uh, nina menkens the director used about 190 film clips that shows um that proves her point in a way, but it's very hard because it kind of puts a mirror into Hollywood and not everybody would be interested in looking in the mirror and saying, what can we do differently? Um, so 
it's very important that people see this film and realize what's going on. And, and what do we do in the name of writing? So, yeah. Something that really surprised me when I was going through previous times that you've talked about this film and um, talking to your publicist uh, was that the director really emphasized to you that the score had to be non-manipulative, unobtrusive, and like devoid of sadness slash pity, which on one hand as a viewer, I'm like, oh, that's a great bet. As a composer, I'm like, what do you want me to do then? Because it's one of those things that I almost feel like could be unnatural where people are like, yeah, that drone where you just play one note, that makes me feel sad now. Like, yes. So yeah. how did you go about <laughs> tackling this? I know that the score came across as almost like sci-fi action, but I would mm -hmm. love to hear like your perspective of how you got to that point. So um, in many times in uh, when a director works with the composer, they would use what we call temp music, which is temporal music that they put when they edit the, the film in order to give the uh, the um, composer a sense of what they wanted, basically the mood, the tempo, uh, the general atmosphere. Because there's so when you score a movie, there's so many things to be um, taken into consideration. Um, for example, camera angle. For example, dialogue. The color of the film. So many things that you need to take into consideration. So Nina uh, put a temp track of Vertigo, which is a Hitchcock film uh, composed by the genius uh, Bernard Herrmann. And Bernard Herrmann's um, score is um, very old Hollywood, mysterious kind of haunting. So that was what she was asking me to, to come up with, but still be original and be my own composer in uh, style. So um, I use a lot of um, percussion instruments like vibraphone and harp and celeste uh, to create this mystery, but on the other hand, create this very low tone, threatening tone in a way that goes throughout the movie. And when Nina, um, hired me i said look if this is what you want we need an orchestra and it's very rare that in a documentary film you will have a real orchestra it's usually just my computer here and she said absolutely and she really uh, went all the way with that and it that's why the score uh, you know sounds so great and i'm so proud of it so what i wanted to create is this old hollywood mystery because what are we talking about here? How do we, how do we unpuzzle this puzzle that we have? And uh, also, um, I wanted to um, enhance the dramatic part of it and go with the story. So as the story unfolded, also the music became more and more dramatic. So I had less of you know the mystery and more of the you know, kind of a very dark uh, subject matter because, you know, these kind of things that she shows in the movie really do contribute to the rape 
culture that we have. So there's a film, a part of the film that really goes heavily into this, um, into this uh, very um, heavy matter. And the music is with that. So I used a lot of low brass and low woodwinds and low strings to and clusters of sounds and, and notes to create this thick, you know, thick um, and heavy um, tone that describes, you know, the whole thing. And yes, she said, I don't want pity. I don't want sadness. There's one interview with Rosanna Arquette that, you know, we did again and again because she, every time I did it, this, she was saying, this is still too emotional. Let's take a little bit less of that until it becomes what we both felt was the right thing, which is commenting and helping what's going on without manipulating the audience. Uh, it was it was very challenging. Um, you know, it was a very challenging score. It's not like a regular score, but uh, we came up with a result that both Nina and I feel served the, the movie very well. I mean, I from the clips I've gotten to see, because it hasn't been at a theater near me yet. No, I it's also actually think in the theaters. score films rare. It's actually in theaters. It, it came out on uh, the 21st of October, so you can probably catch it in Boston some, somewhere. I'll have to search a little harder. It hasn't been at, I live in the North End, so there's not a ton of theaters around there, but I will keep my eye out. I'm very excited to finally get to see the film in length. Yes, thank you. With this uh, score and, you know, that basis you had going into it, did you find that the orchestral session was the same as it usually is? I always feel like it's an interesting time when I tell musicians the opposite of what they're usually told to do, which is don't play emotionally. Like, wait, what? <laughs> um. Well, you know, when you write for an orchestra, um, you have to be very precise. You have to be very accurate and you have to make sure that what the players are getting is very clear because time is money and you can't spend time on, you know, explaining what you need. So as this is not an impro improvisation, this is like everything is time to a click track. Um, everything is written as you know, you know, in the score. So when I needed a crescendo, the, it would be there, you know, if it was, you know. So also I recorded in Bulgaria remote, remotely. So it was from midnight to 7 a.m. here while it was daytime there. And the way it works is that the musicians um, are conducted by a conductor there and I see everything in real time while I'm also on Skype or Zoom with the, with the uh, orchestra director. So they, they record it, you know, a cue, I hear it in real time and then I say, okay, I need less crescendo here. I'm, I need more strings here. I need, you know, this, the, the uh, horns are not together. There's intonation problem here, you know, and then they record it again. So it wasn't, it's, it's everything is there. You just need to make sure that whatever is there is being executed in the best way. 
and and this was very interesting score also in and I don't know if you were planning on asking it so if I'm asking if you you did I'm, I'm sorry but so Nina has about 190 film clips from other movies some of them had music music in it some of them did not have music in it so she would have like let's say three or four clips that go from one to the other and and each has you know, its own music. So I needed to go from my score smoothly into the key of the first clip so it's smooth and you don't feel something that is abrupt and then figure out the key of the last few, like let's say the fourth one, and then go out of this one back into my theme in the new key and sometimes doing an overtone of the music that is already there. I mean, this was very, very complicated, but what it created is uh, this um, unseemingly, you know, smooth transitions from from my music to the, to the uh, scenes and back to my music. And it was, yeah, it was uh, to do it in a way that is, is so, um, unnoticeable you know was was challenging but but it worked it worked no i love that and i hear that one of the films i worked on recently was about a radio host so we had lots of pin drops and they made it very clear to me that they wanted it to feel like the cue was part of the pin drop mm -hmm. so which was fun because it was like all 80s yellow style. Music. Ah, that's fun. So it was a fun combination, a struggle, but definitely fun, at least in my opinion. It's um, it's challenging to, you know, to take something and and in every film, but especially in films that we when you have like, you know, sort what you call what you just described the source music. So to uh, make the source music which could be a radio or TV or concert or whatever, and make it work with the uh, with the score uh, in a way that is um, on the one hand you know that now you're hearing a song and not a score, but on the other hand you don't know how you got there, mm -hmm. and that's the real art of film music, and this is why it's called the art of film music because it's it's an art. It's not something that you can just, you know, scribble down and it works. It's an art and you have to be, you have to know what you're doing. Absolutely. Something you mentioned earlier was ever since you worked on this film, you don't see films the same way. Has that affected your scoring at all, do you think? I don't think it's affected the scoring, but it affected the way I view films with more awareness. And I'll give you an example. After I scored a film, there was a film, um, I watched film also because I'm on the Motion Pictures Academy in the committee, executive committee, I got to watch, you know, what's going on. And um, one of the films that were there, it was a love story about two people. The man is a fighter, he's in Iraq. The woman is in New York. And there's one scene when they're talking on the phone. So the man is, is in his full army uniform, uh, standing up 
watching, talking to her while he's watching his soldiers, you know, running around with their guns and everything. She's in New York. And they're not talking about sex or anything. She's like, oh, so when are you coming home? You know, stuff like that. So he's been the big man macho, right? Mm -hmm. How we see him. She lies on the bed and the camera very slowly pans from her toes all the way slowly motion pictures, motion, uh, uh, slow motion, all the way up to her lips. Now she's only wearing a t-shirt and underwear. Okay, so why? I mean, why is he being portrayed like this big, strong guy? And she's like, oh, I'm so, you know, lonely now. And I mean, what is the point? She's, she's like a big, strong woman, woman in New York. Why can't she sit down, you know, and drink a cup of coffee and talk to him? You know, maybe she just came back from work. And I mean, I don't know. It's just like, how would you do it in a different way? Mm -hmm. And was it necessary? Usually the answer is no, in my experience. <laughs> One thing that I thought was interesting with thinking about this narrative is we've had similar discussions in the music world of how for example, I'm a production manager where I run cameras at a music company and I talk a lot to my camera operators. Just point it. <laughs> you don't need to pan over what they're wearing or, you know, when a female soloist comes on stage and they start looking at specific parts of her gown, etc. Do you think that these kinds of dialogues need to be had more often in music or how do you, have you seen the scene changing as you've been in the field in regards to women composers we are still five percent so 95 percent are male usually white male and don't get me wrong i love white male i i'm married to one <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's not like i have anything against you know, I have tons of friends from every, you know, gender and whatever, and whatever they want. But the fact is that we're still 5%. And in concert music, it's even worse. It's like 2% or 3%. So, however, there is a conversation now. So we haven't had this conversation from the the time when women started getting from the time when the oscar started giving best score award which i think was in 67 um there are four women who ever won an oscar um the last one was hilder for joker but there were only before her, there were only three women from 67 until 2021. So it shows you when people come to me and say, well, maybe women just don't want to do it. Well, why wouldn't they want to do it? Because society thinks that they shouldn't be doing it. They should be doing something else. You know, they should be, you know, it will, it will be hard to raise kids or, you know, all, all that kind of stuff that is so old thinking. Um, yeah, it's challenging sometimes, you know, but 
there's lots of stuff that is challenging in the world. And I think that what we want to do is just make sure that we are considered because of our talent, our professionalism, our able to ability to deliver a great score in time, like everybody else. So we want to be judged by that and not by you know other factors that might might I don't know influence someone's decision in who am I hiring. But there's more opening. I mean the, the studios are way more open now to the conversation. More women are being hired. Uh, more women are being commissioned. Uh, so I think it's just a process, and I think it it it's not like men didn't want women to do music. You know, it's just that you know when you are like I had films when I was the only woman in the room. So there would be the director and the film editor and the two producers and um, I don't know, the production manager or whatever. And there's a certain energy that men have when they're together, like there's certain energy that women have when they are together. And this energy would change when I came into the room. So I think sometimes it was uncomfortable because you have to, or men would feel that they need to talk in a different way, maybe less sexist. You know, maybe there would be things that they wouldn't say if I was there. So I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I don't think that men are evil and don't want women. I think it's just a process. You know, in, in society, as, as humanity evolves, hopefully, uh, you know, this part of humanity evolves too, and there's more accept acceptance for people with different, you know, sexual orientation or different cultures or, you know, different, you know, upbringing, you know. But I think, like everything else, it takes time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, as the vice president of the Alliance for Women Film Composers, we're working hard to change this and we have a lot of support. So um, it's it's a process. And I think that the, the one mistake that women do sometimes is to be victimizing themselves instead of saying, okay, you know what, this is the reality. Um, what can I do to change, to help change this reality? And by saying, oh, I'm not given these chances. And I'm, I mean, I was told many years ago, if you were a man, you would be scoring the biggest films right now. Well, I'm not a man, you know? So I have to build my career in a different way, you know? And, and it's, but there, as I said, it's a process and we need to help the process other than, you know, um, feel like we're not given the opportunity and we are being victims. You cannot make it in this business if you feel like a victim. So my advice to any anyone who's watching this or but specifically women uh, or other minorities is that you know it's hard 
whatever you decide to do, it's going to be not easy. You know, starting out of school, it's not easy. So what are the steps that you need to take in order to become um, powerful, in order to become confident, and in order to know that this is not a very easy road, but so what? Life is more exciting with challenges. Absolutely. And I mean, speaking of women, you know, entering those quote unquote masculine spaces, the newest Thursday night football theme has been written by a woman. So I think we're definitely making our place known in the room. I think so too. This is, yes, I didn't know that. That's great. <laughs> yes, Hernar, love her. Awesome. Um, one thing that... Oh, what, what, I'm sorry, you were talking about Hernar? Yeah, she wrote the Thursday night football theme for the NFL. Oh, that, oh, yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, yes, I did know that. Yeah, 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 that's great. Yes, mm -hmm. that's great. One thing that I also think comes with that, you know, personal change as we, you know, make ourselves known in the room and we take on those challenges is we're also, you know, changing the culture. One thing I saw while I was an undergrad that, you know, I brought up to my teachers was, hey, look at this music theory book with all these, uh, scores you want us to study this year there's no women in it mm, good for you Do you see an issue with that good for you and and did it, did they it and it did and eventually we you know got that course women in music videos all women that's what good the course was about and it was great and i did see a um increase in also people of color in yes. the music theory curriculum mm -hmm. was that music theory curriculum just an addition of to black men when we included jazz? Yes. <laughs> but you know, any increase from zero is technically an infinite yes, increase. Absolutely. I think, you know, the problem is not when you go to school. The problem starts after you go you go out of school, mm -hmm. when you graduate. And that's when a lot of people, not only women, but women in particular, um, like I can't tell you how many interns I had that you know, went on to like have a doctorate. And I said, why do you do that? And not that I'm against it. Um, well, it's not like they love teaching so much. They just had plan B. And mm -hmm. like, but the problem is if you don't like to be a teacher and you have a plan B, just in case I can make it as a composer, then I will be teaching. It kind of, takes the fire out of you because you can, you have a cushion. Yeah. And, and sometimes this cushion is actually preventing you from really going after you, what you want and, and your dreams and everything. So, you know, it's, it's um, as I said, a lot of women go to, school, go to school, but what happens after you graduate? It's not easy. You no, but strong. in your case, you build a career out of it and you have six projects at a time. Absolutely. But I did not do a master's degree or a doctorate degree because, because I knew that what I wanted to do was to write music. Now, you, it doesn't mean that you can't do both, you know, and mm -hmm. it's probably very good to have it, especially if you want to expand on different, you know, things. But for me at the time, I wanted to just get the experience of in the field, as we say. And, you know, you build every time you build and build and build and build. Sometimes, not sometimes, many times you get disappointed. 
So, you know, you say, oh, geez, I really wanted this and I didn't get it. And sometimes you cry and then you get up in the morning and say, okay, I cried for a day or two and it's uh, mm -hmm. not going to change anything. So the sun is shining. I'm going to be out and I'm going to be continuing my journey. If I've learned anything, music is about rejection. Oh my God, there's so much rejection. So mm -hmm. much rejection. But it's part of life, you know? Exactly. Well, I think we are out of time and you answered all my questions. I may oh, have good. only asked three, but you dove right into it and answered all of the stuff I had prepared. So oh, good, thank good. you so much for your time and your camaraderie. It is my pleasure. And, you know, you're doing great. So keep on going and do what you love and you'll get to where you want. I have no doubt.